0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Yes. All right, have you had any of your kids, grandkids, maybe yourself, who have seen the movie The Descendants? Anyone? Okay, right? So here's the plot. The plot is this. Descendants has all the focus on the villains in Disney movies, but mainly on their children. Right? So you have the child of Maleficent, the child of Cruella de Vil, you have the child of Jafar, right? You have the child of of the evil um, kind of witch, right? And they are on this island where, where they can't leave. Right, they're on this island that is completely protected by this force field. And so they don't get to leave. And, and the children of the good Disney characters, like Cinderella you know, and the fairy godmother and all this stuff, they're on uh, normal land and there's this divide. right? And so there's a point to all this. What happens is some of these children of these villains are able to go... Out of this island, and connect with these uh, these good Disney characters and their children and what 's interesting is, is you think about family dysfunction, right and, and you could think about these villains and Maleficent and Krella Deville and Jafar, and you think about their kids and what they grew up with, and yeah, there was some serious dysfunction, but as time went on, you found out that there's probably just as much dysfunction. With the good people. And really, with, with the good characters, the good Disney characters, they just tiptoed around it and they hit it very well. And so whether it's the, the island of these Disney characters and, and evil characters and enemies or, the, or the, the mainland with all these great, awesome, good Disney characters, both had a lot of dysfunction with their families. And so I think with us, and I think about the church, uh, sometimes we can adopt that same mentality. And, and, and we just don't want to, as a church, right? Uh, we don't want to talk about the, the things in our family that are dysfunctional. Or we want to tiptoe around some of these issues. So on that island, the descendants, they knew their issues they were in front of them they lived through it and sometimes us as a church we don't want to talk about you know mom or dad's drinking issue we we don't want to talk about our own addictions we don't want to talk about grandma's racism we don't want to talk about the greed that is so evident in our homes We don't want to talk about those things. We want to avoid it. And we want to to have this facade that that everything's okay. And I think with us as a church, we need to understand that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you will have family dysfunction. And you can overlook it. you You can hide it. You can ignore it. But if it's left unaddressed, you will only have more dysfunction. And I think about myself and my own family, you know, and how there's those areas we just don't want to chat about, or, or there's areas that it's just this unwritten law that we don't go there, and, and those things are not healthy. And so really this morning, as we continue this series on family, and we continue talking through Genesis and these very dysfunctional families, I want to ask a question. What can we learn about God that will help us as we navigate the challenge of dysfunction in our family? Because you are lying if you do not think there is some form of dysfunction in your home. And today we're going to talk about maybe the most jacked up family in the book of Genesis. And they are so messed up with these four characters involved that we don't have actually a sighting in the book of Genesis that they were all four in the room conversating at the same time. We just have these conversations on the side. We don't, maybe they did, maybe there's something, but they just were not around each other. And there was great dysfunction and we want to learn from them. We want to learn from the Bible because the Bible, this is why I love it, it doesn't avoid it. It doesn't avoid the issue in any way. It highlights it. I always say, this is why I know the Bible was written and inspired by God, because if man made it, then, then we would make everything look perfect. We would make everything look so, you know, almost like a utopia of mankind. But, but we see early on with family that there was great dysfunction. Why? Why do we have this? Why is this front center for us thousands of years later? Because I believe it's through these families' dysfunction that we learn that God's grace prevails. We, we can learn from it. Thousands of years later, we learn that God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. His grace overcomes. It's so great for us to see how God overcomes this dysfunctional family, but but I want to learn, how did they get to be dysfunctional in the first place? Like, okay, they're dysfunctional, and, and God's grace prevailed, and that's awesome, and it's true, and we'll talk about that later in the message, but what got them to this place? You know, most people are like, oh man, how did we get here? Like, what happened? I think about five years ago or seven years ago or a year ago, what got us to this place right now? What, what made this domino effect where things just seem like they, they can't be healed restored or reconciled? And, and this is where it starts. This is where our dysfunction starts and it's disobedience. Because disobedience leads to families of dysfunction. You think about it, someone at some time was disobedient. And because of that disobedience, it led to sometimes catastrophic issue. And so our story here that centers on Isaac and Jacob and Rebecca and Esau... We see with this, this covenant through Abraham that, that's passed down and this promise, we see with, with Isaac, we even see with Jacob, we see disobedience. We see things that they did, the promised people of the covenant, even they made mistakes. I mean, even a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Abraham, how, how he lied to the Pharaoh, and he's like, oh, this is, you know, my sister, and she's not married. And, and we see that they're humans. We're human. They're human, right? We all make mistakes, but what can we learn? And so we're going to be digging into Genesis chapter 26, and, and we're going to be reading this. And starting in verse uh, 27, or 34, sorry, and we're going to be skipping around a little more than we usually do because there's a lot to cover in this. And so let's start off in Genesis 26, verse 34, and let's read that together. This is what it says. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife and Bazemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. All right, that's where we're going to start because we have Esau, and one of the things that we read and we know with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is they are commanded to marry from within their tribe. You know, don't marry anyone outside their tribes. And so here we have Esau, and he makes the mistake to marry two ladies outside of his tribe. He actually marries two Hittite women. And that immediately causes more drama than the Kardashians, right? Like, there is drama happening, so much so that you read the text. It says he married and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. So it's, hey, they're married, and we didn't go and uh, skip to another chapter. It was the next verse. These, these uh, two ladies, they made life so bad for Isaac and Rebekah. And so we're going to highlight through some of that. And so I want to go ahead to the next verse in Genesis chapter 27, and we'll be reading verse 1 through 4. This is what it says. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, now you might be reading this and you say, okay, so they make life bitter, and then the next verse, it talks about him blessing uh, Esau. But, but here, we see another issue, So now Esau, he marries these two women outside his tribe, and then now we have Isaac, and Isaac is going to bless Esau, which is in direct disobedience to what God had commanded him. So here we have Jacob and Esau, and we actually read in Genesis chapter 5 what God intended for Jacob and Esau. So let's skip back a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, and let's read this. This is what it says. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. From the time they were within the womb, from within the womb, they had a purpose. And he said that the younger will serve, will be served by the younger, or by the older, sorry. (laughs) He said the, the one that will come out of the womb first will be the one that actually serves the younger. See, this was God's intention for these two boys that will be born, that will become two powerful nations. And so we see here that when when Isaac says, hey, Esau, go and get your quiver and go hunt game and make me food, and I'm going to bless you, this is in direct contradiction to what God had told him to do. So again, dysfunction's happening, and Isaac is being disobedient. He's being disobedient to what God had, had told him from the beginning, before they were even born. And so this dysfunction is because here we have Isaac not being a spiritual leader. And that choice sets off a series of more dysfunctions. And so even though we're going to see this dysfunction happen, because of his disobedience, now there is deception coming down the road. Now that doesn't negate that, that Jacob, he shouldn't have been uh, deceptive, but we see it's because his father put him in a place where he made that decision, where he was going to bless his older brother. And so here we see this happening and Rebecca's like, okay, this is what I need you to do. She sees that he's being disobedient, that he's not doing what God had called him to do. And so she said, okay, let's figure this out. I want you to go and I want you to put uh, fake hair on your arms um, with goat skin uh, because, again, a very hairy man was Esau. I mean, this guy, if he was wearing this shirt, his chest hair would be popping out, right? Like, you know, and and he was a very burly person, a man of the field, a man hunting. And so we see here that they're going to deceive Isaac because he's pretty much blind. And so in that moment, Jacob could have been like, no, mom, I'm not doing this. I'm not being deceptive. I I just, I don't want to be part of this. But no, he went ahead with it. And so he was deceptive towards his father. So he goes on with this lie. And and here, Isaac, he's still blinded by his disobedience. And he continues to bless Jacob, thinking it's Esau. And so deception frames the entire reaction to Isaac's disobedience, which causes an incredible amount of distress on this family. I mean, there's tension here. So much so that when when Esau got back and he was ready for his blessing, it says that he cried an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He's like, bless me. Why can't you bless me? And and, and Isaac was like, no, I've already given that to Jacob. And then it turned into him wanting to kill his brother. Again, think about this. God had already said, before they were born... What he had intended for them, and if Isaac would have from the beginning been a leader in this, that wouldn't have been an issue in the first place. Esau would have known; he wouldn't have. Uh, Jacob wouldn't have to be deceptive, and Rebecca deceptive. And so, in this moment, he he seeks to kill his brother. And Rebecca, she finds this out, right? Because families don't talk, right? There's no gossip in families. So someone's spilling the tea, right? I don't know who it is, but someone say, hey, did you hear what happened? Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe this happened. There is drama in the household, like right? (laughs) Something's happening, someone's talking, and they love spilling. And so Rebecca finds out, and and she wants to protect her boy. She says, hey, I need you to go and leave this area. I want you to go to Laban, go to my brother, and stay there because I don't want you to die. But guess what happens? He goes, and he doesn't come back for 15 years. So because of Isaac's disobedience, his son has to flee. He never sees his mom again. In the word of God, we don't have any further interaction with mom and son. Because of that disobedience, you see the cascading drama? She saved her son, but she never got to interact with him again. And throughout the entire narrative, we see the pain that that disobedience causes, the, the fallout that it causes. I, I love how uh, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, he says this, the family is not working Together, but conspiring against one another because Isaac offers no spiritual leadership. At at its core, the family's dysfunction is the result of his disobedience. Recently, I was reading this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and um, I love reading through this because it helps us reflect and look back at our life and look back at our family tree and learn from our family, learn from our ancestors, generation after generation. And and there's a challenge there, and there's an exercise that we have to highlight some of the dysfunction in our own life and in our family's origin. You know, no one likes to to look at their family's problems. They don't like to look back and and see the disobedience, see the dysfunction, and and see some of those patterns. No one likes to do that. See, the, the sinfulness But what's important is it helps us learn some of the things we'll probably struggle with. You know, like I know certain aspects of my father's side of the family that they struggle with, that they battle. And and I know that, hey, some of that stuff I still battle. And I know my, my mother's side and some of the things they battle. And I know I still struggle in those things. But I also see the strengths, the goodness from my father's side and my mother's side. And if we look back... Uh, 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 Mima or peepaw or papa or grandma or grandpa sadly sometimes we see some trends that aren't healthy we see some areas that man this struggle has continued from generation to generation and, and it morphs and it changes but it still has remnant it's still around it's still there you know, I always joke about my, uh, my mom's side, because my mom, you know, she came from the Middle East, right? So she's from Israel, and, 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 and they were in the wars in the 60s, and, and she grew up in war, and there was poverty, and there was, a, there was just, everything was so unsafe, and so, you know, there's a frugalness to my mom's side, right? Like, there's a, there's a cheapness, Right? My wife loves to tell me that cheapness lives through me, right? (laughs) That it continues. But really, it's because of how I was raised. Because my mother, she had some of that in her. Now, she wasn't raised in war. She wasn't raised in Israel. She moved when she was a young child. But because she was raised by her parents, she was raised a certain way. And we see some of that continue on through uh, my siblings and myself. And so it helps us look and learn, hey, what are some of those dysfunctions that, that we could be carrying on, that, that we might knowingly or unknowingly be carrying on into our, into our families? And so I, I think about that. Usually, some of that dysfunction, or not usually, every time, it's because of disobedience to God's word. It's because someone shows disobedience you know god's word is is meant to to lead us into a a thriving life doesn't always mean thriving uh financially or or thriving you know with our careers or it doesn't always mean peace but it means ourselves we have joy we have the fruits of the spirit and yet when we believe those lies we can fall prey just like anyone adam and eve right They were disobedient, and it caused dysfunction, the fall of mankind. Isaac sought to turn from God's word, and it it created a a great division where his sons were divided for a long amount of time, and it goes on and on and on. But I want to tell us that hope, even in that crazy, (laughs) sinful disobedience, hope will emerge Because our family's dysfunction, God uses. He takes what what we have been disobedient with and the struggles we have, and he does the same with the story of Esau and Jacob, and and he highlights it. So through that highlight, we can see the grace of God. Because this turns into a pretty good story, right? Right? If if you've heard this story, God takes some very disobedient actions and he makes something good, which we see God's grace shines through family dysfunction. We see that God has used our dysfunction and he's taken our disobedience and he, and he, because he is faithful and good, he turns it to actually be healthy with that fallout, with that struggle, he, he does something that only he can do. And so let's read chapter 28, verse 3. We get to read some of this. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away. So it's interesting here because now Isaac has finally blessed Jacob. You see, when he was about to go, he blessed him. He knew his son was going to run, and finally he stepped up and he blessed him. It's it's very similar to what we see in Adam and Eve, right? The story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 128, that the same language to be fruitful and multiply. And, And through this blessing, we see Jacob as the true heir and recipient of the covenantal promise. So through this, the author of Genesis wants to draw our attention that even amid the dysfunction of family, God's plan and purposes still prevail through the younger son, Jacob. They still prevail. God had said that the younger would be the one to carry the blessing, and despite the disobedience and dysfunction, his word still prevailed. I mean, this is a, a total act of grace from God. And, and I think about them. They, they either sought to disobey uh, God's word and, and attain God's blessing through all the wrong ways. Yet, God still shows his grace and they still continue the promise through Jacob. At this moment, we're... We are to realize that the reason the dysfunction is brought to the front is only to highlight the greatness of God's grace and blessing. You know, um, Phil Biancey in his, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he talks about growing up in the church. He says that the church, he, he felt like it was tended towards perfectionism. He felt like when he went to church, he, he, had, he was tempted to misrepresent where he was spiritually. He said on Sundays, we were well-scrubbed families, um, and we emerged from our cars with smiles on our face, even though, as we later found out, uh, people had been fighting abusively all week long. He went on to say, as a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings, dressing up for God and the Christians around me. It never occurred to me that church was a place to be honest. Now, though, as I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realize that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets in through the cracks. Do you struggle with some cracks in your life, and with your family. You know, so often there's this temptation to want to paint this picture that everything is, is great. But we all have cracks. We all have areas that we are hurting and broken. And just like what Philip Yancey said, we can fall into those temptations to want to make everything look perfect and, and great. We tend to hide things. And there's fear, and there's, we could have an entire sermon series on, on the why. Yet it's often in these places when we allow ourselves to be real that the grace of God Wants to meet us. And so often when we're humble and we're saying, Hey, I am insecure. Hey, I am unsure. Hey, I am struggling. Hey, I have been battling that. That's when grace is going to meet us because God doesn't just want to work despite our family dysfunction, He wants to work through our family dysfunction. And in these things, He gets to make His grace visible. So are there things that you don't want to talk about in your family? You don't want to work through in your family with your siblings, with your kids, with your spouse, with your parents. Things you just you haven't been honest about. As I believe it's in this that grace can prevail. And, and in this story, what we get to see when the cracks start coming, the light starts shining through, we get to see some amazing restoration. I mean, we get to see it in the third third point. God's grace can reconcile family dysfunction. God's grace can reconcile family dysfunction. Jacob leaves his family. He goes and lives with Laban. You know, he's a shepherd. He comes back home. He has, gets married, has kids. And then there, now there's this interaction where he's going to go and he's going to meet Esau. And, and he's afraid because, man, I deceived him. I stole his, his blessing. And he's so afraid, he arranges his family to protect him just in case Esau wants revenge. But when he meets his brother, the unexpected happens. Look at Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept after 15 years instead of hostility Jacob experienced harmony and humility and we marvel at the work that God did through this Disobedience. Yeah, there were mistakes, and there were many, but God's grace can reconcile any family dysfunction. And so then Jacob introduces his family and his servants, and he offers Esau a gift. And Esau, he wants to refuse. Hey, I don't want your money. I don't want any of your flock. But, but Jacob, he presses him even more. And, and when he does, his statement gives us a beautiful picture of God's grace bringing reconciliation. Look at verse 10 and 11 in chapter 33. And, and this is what it says. Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present." From my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. You know, Jacob, he uses the word blessing, which is connecting back to the blessing he had received instead of Isaac. And and at this moment, he acknowledges his wrong and offers amends. And while initially reluctant Esau, he accepts the blessing which seals the restoration. You know, the Old Testament scholar Alan Ross helps highlight uh, this answer for us. He says, there is a significant emphasis on the idea of grace in this section. We see the grace of God and the blessing of both brothers. Grace is extended and received. The blessing is because of God's gracious dealing with Jacob. Even Jacob's statement about seeing Esau's face is like seeing the face of God is a reminder of when Jacob encountered God face to face and his life was graciously spared. The overarching message through this beautiful moment of reconciliation is that God's grace worked to make all this possible. Despite years of family dysfunction, these brothers experience a moment of reconciliation and restoration because God graciously intervened and provided them with what is necessary for the reconciliation. God intervened. And God intervened for for us as well. As God intervened through even Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau, God intervened for for you and me. And we know this as good news, that, that Christ died for us. That that he took our place and and paid the cost that that we deserved. As Esau and Isaac, they didn't deserve grace. Isaac didn't deserve grace. Abraham didn't deserve grace. But we see different instances where where God intervened. And with us, it's Christ. And and if you have never accepted what Christ has done for you, I want to give you that option. As Christ intervened, stepped into our mess, so he can step into our mess. And he continues to step in, and he continues to be faithful, even with, with our disobedience. I've been talking to my kids uh, recently, and, and Hannah, she said something recently. She said, Dad, I, I can't be perfect. And I said, I don't look for perfect. I just look for progress and growth. We are not a home of perfection. And we never will be. And so with us, we have the opportunity to be blessed by what Christ has done, reconciling us to God. And so if that's something you want, man, the option is there, and it is always there. I'd love to chat with you about that. I'd love to talk to you. Even any of the leaders that have been up here today, we would love to to talk to you because God can redeem even your story, even your family dysfunction. And I know after talking with some of you, we got some stuff we're battling in our families. We have some dysfunction in our families. We all do. No one is exempt from it. And so in this gospel of Jesus, there, there is always hope for you and for your families. It might take a while. It might not happen tomorrow, you know, it, it might take 15 years, just like a, a Jacob and Esau, but there's always hope with Christ. You know, I was reading the story a while back, and it was about two neighbors, and, and these neighbors were the closest friends. They both had farms, they had land, and their families, and they just got along great until they had this huge, huge blowout fight. And so they had this issue, and they had their land that was uh, connected, and one of the farmers, he decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a ditch and have you know one of the rivers connect and flow through it. So now we have this, this giant chasm between my farm and his farm. And so he went ahead and he did that, and it made his neighbor so angry. And he said, man, I can't believe he did this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and figure out a way where, where I could do something back to him. So just then he got a knock on his door. And at the front door was a carpenter. And the carpenter said, hey, I'm looking to make money. Is there anything I can do to help? He said, I got the perfect thing for you. I want you to go and I want you to build a fence right on the edge of that river. So now I don't even have to see his river, his land, and he can't see me and I'll pay you for this. And so he says, okay, I'll do it. So then the carpenter goes and he gets his supplies and, and, and the farmer, he leaves and comes back and he looks and to his bewilderment, there ain't no fence. He built a bridge. He was angry at first. He said, why in the world would he, would he build a bridge? But in that moment, he looked and the other farmer, he saw it and he was moved by the bridge. He said, whoa, whoa. He built a bridge to connect our land. And so he went and he walked across the bridge and he met him in the middle. They embraced and they made peace. And when they saw that the carpenter was walking away with his tools, they asked him, hey, just stay a little bit, have a meal with us. And he said, I'm sorry, but I have other... Bridges to build. This is a story that's a great reminder that that through the work of Jesus Christ, God is working to build bridges of reconciliation. Can I get real with you? What bridges do you need to build? We all have ravines. We all have chasms. Who is it in your life right now that you need a bridge to? It's all great, awesome, Esau and and Jacob, but what bridges do we got to build? What bridges we need God to build for us? There's probably someone. Might not be a family member. Might be a coworker or friend. But who in your life you need a bridge for? In the story of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau, one thing is clear. As we investigated uh, the dysfunction and the brokenness of this family, God's promise was still fulfilled. And that's because God's grace prevails over family dysfunction. I want to leave you with the thought, who is it? Who do you need to build a bridge for? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.